Well, would you open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 13? We're going to focus on uh, verses 20 and 21. Uh, as you see in your notes, the title of the sermon is called Christ is Risen, the Comfort and Joy of the Resurrection. And I love how Joshua started us this morning when he, when he you know, quoted the, the, that great traditional greeting on Easter Sunday, when he said, Christ is risen, and your response was? Christ is risen indeed. indeed. I got to tell you, when I was younger, I would hear that expression, Christ is risen indeed, and my inner grammar police would come out, um, because I would think, wait a minute, Christ is risen indeed. Shouldn't it be Christ was risen? What's the deal with Christ is risen? And you probably knew that. I, I, I had to come to learn those things. I'm a slow learner. Um, saying Christ is risen is filled with meaning, isn't it? It means that though the resurrection of Christ is a historical event, it's a present reality. And so that's why it's the present tense. Jesus is alive. That's what we're saying. And the presence of Christ in our day-to-day lives is a reality that we're meant to experience. Not just acknowledge intellectually, but an experience that we're meant to enjoy regularly as followers of Christ. And so as we turn to Hebrews, the pastor writing this book to his congregation is closing the letter praying that the people of his congregation would not only know about the resurrection but that they would regularly experience the comfort and joy of the resurrection. So can we read the text, and then can we pray along this, in association with the scriptures this morning? Let's read. Again, if you're new with us, when we turn to God's word, we, this is not like any other book. It's not a blog post. It's not an academic treatise. This is God communicating himself to us. It's the word of the Lord. Inerrant, inspired, sufficient, and authoritative. And that's the way we want to receive it. So let's read Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning wanting to better understand and know this truth. But Lord, also as a pastor, I pray that you would give grace to every heart here this morning to not just know this truth, but experience it. Please, God. Please, God. May may they experience the truth that we study this morning. For your glory, for their joy, and for the advancement of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.
You know, as a pastor, one of my concerns is that just because someone knows some facts about Christ, it doesn't mean that they've tasted and experienced Christ. It doesn't mean that they've tasted the joyful comforts of Christ. Just because someone knows the saying, Jesus loves you, it doesn't mean that they've experienced the comfort and joy of Jesus loving me. And just because someone believes that Jesus was resurrected on the third day following his death on the cross for sins, it doesn't mean that we've tasted and experienced the joyful comforts of Christ's resurrection. The wonderful pastor theologian of the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, said, and this is, your note, is in your notes, Jonathan Edwards said this, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holy and great holiness and grace. There is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former that knows not how honey tastes, but a man cannot have the latter unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. Similarly, it's one thing to know that the resurrection of Christ is a historical fact, but it's, it's another thing. It's another thing to regularly experience the comfort and joy in it. Jonathan Edwards goes further and he says this, the resurrection of Christ is the most joyful event that ever came to pass. Charles Spurgeon echoes it very similarly. He says, no man shall ever take from me the joy that Christ rose from the dead. It's obvious that these men had tasted the sweetness of the comfort and joy of the resurrection. So here we go. How about you? How about you? You know, God wants you to experience the comfort and joy of the truth that we're studying today. It's the comfort and joy of the resurrection that makes a regular difference when you've been fearful or worried. So I want you to think about it. Let's just get really real right at the beginning. What has brought fear and worry into your life recently? Is the comfort and joy of the resurrection making a difference? Is the comfort and joy of the resurrection making a difference when you find yourself wearied from strife in your marriage or frustrations in parenting or loneliness in singleness? Is the comfort and joy of the resurrection compelling you to be more compelled to tell others the good news of the gospel more regularly? Is the comfort and joy of the resurrection satisfying your heart so that, that, you, that satisfaction of heart in Christ is your best defense against the sin that so regularly ensnares you. I believe our text is intended to be a means of God's grace to not only inform you about the resurrection, but to also give you an experiential taste of the comfort and joy of the resurrection. And so that's why I think the main point for this text this morning is this. God calls us to meditate regularly on the reality of the resurrection so that we might regularly experience comfort and joy in the shepherd care of the risen Christ. And that's just all out really from our text. John Owens used to put it this way. 
I mean, how, don't raise your hands, but how many of us have our morning devotions, but we come away from God's word and our heart is still cold? John Owens put it this way, so many people come away from the Bible with cold hearts and it's because they haven't warmed their hearts by the fires of meditation. And I think that's going to be so significant as we study the scripture this morning. So let's dive in and let's, let's see what, what uh, the Lord is telling us here. And really this first point is just a rehearsal of the gospel. And I think that's so important, especially in Midland, Texas. We, we cannot assume that people, just because they know some gospel facts, doesn't mean they've experienced the life-saving and life-giving truth of the gospel. So we don't want to assume the gospel, and, and our text won't let us assume the gospel this morning. And I think you'll see what I mean by that. The first point is the resurrection is comfort and joy because it assures us of peace with God. Listen, this is written to stressed out Christians. So, now you can raise your hand there. Any stressed out Christians lately? Oh my goodness, what, what isn't there to be stressed out about, it seems like? 2020, just stressed out year, right? Um, they're stressed out because they're suffering both religious and governmental persecution. They're experiencing the loss of jobs and, and financial strain because of their faith. They're being marginalized. They're being separated from family and friends who are not believers, and it's creating a lot of strife in families. And it's tempting some of them to forsake their faith in search for something better. And, and for many of them, they thought something better was to go back to the practice of Judaism. The author of Hebrews is writing this to say that to this suffering church that what you have in Christ is infinitely better than anything you could go back to. So I want you, aren't we all tempted? It may not be Judaism, but aren't we all tempted? We just, I mean, think about even the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Remember how, how, how uh, emptiness of soul, hardness of heart affected their memory. And they started seeing the past as a good time. Leeks and onions by the Nile. You remember? I, all of a sudden I hear Keith Green singing in my mind. Um, that shows, so, so we're older. That's, did you notice that just a few of us have heard Keith Green? Um, listen, there is nothing better than Jesus. There's, there's, this makes Christianity far superior than any other religion because it offers Jesus alone as Savior and Lord. That's what makes it, makes it better. And infinitely better than anything or any person could be for you. Any accomplishment, nothing could be better than Jesus. And so this pastor is calling them to press into Christ. And he wants them to experience a faith that endures to the end. So when you get to this closing benediction, this pastor's praying for his people. The doctrinal foundation for all of this has been made. And the writer ends this letter with a prayer of blessing. He's desiring that the people would experience the comfort and joy of God's Word and not just know some things about God's Word. He wants them to experience the comfort and joy of a risen Savior and not just know some facts about Christ rising from the dead. And the first way he wants to give them that experience is to call himself the God of peace. You notice that? 
May the God of peace. He's essentially giving a New Testament version of number 6, verses 24 through 26. We often use that as a closing benediction here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his faith. Listen, you know, when I close that way, y'all, I'm not just being religious. It's my hope and prayer that you experience the peace of God that surpasses understanding. And that that peace of God would guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is essentially that ironic blessing that the writer of Hebrews is giving. And yet it's a greater blessing because Christ is now the fulfillment of all that was hoped for in the Old Testament. Peace is perhaps, isn't, listen, think about this. With whatever you're going through right now, isn't peace maybe what you most need? I mean, think about this. Students, when you go to school, I mean, it's, it, it's such a transition from maybe hopefully being home where you can feel hopefully being yourself and you step onto campus and all of a sudden there's all this pressure going on about who, who, who do I need to, to please today? How can I fit into what group? Oh my gosh, there's a huge pressure, pressure upon that. What would peace do? What would you do? if you had the peace of God walking onto your campus? What would you do if you had the peace of God with your marriage struggles? What would you do if you had the peace of God when you're looking at your checkbook and there's way more bills to pay than there's money in the account? The peace of God makes a difference, doesn't it? And so that's what he's doing here. If you have gospel peace, so he's not just talking about the cessation of conflict. He's not just talking about that, that there's been a peace treaty between two warring foes. He's talking about gospel peace, a peace that will guard and guide your heart in every trial of life, a peace that in times of trouble will only be explainable because it's the person and work of Jesus Christ that's giving it to you. Have you ever had that? Oh, I pray that that's happened to you. When you've been shedding tears and your, your, your pillow is wet with tears and yet you still have peace. And, the, and circumstances cannot explain it. The only thing that can explain it is that Jesus has joined his life to your life. And you are secure in him for all eternity. That's the only explain, explanation for it. For God to call himself the God of peace should first surprise us before it comforts us. So here's where we get into the gospel. Before we placed our trust in Christ to save us from our sins, we first needed to know God, not as the God of peace, but the God of justice. And so often we seem to avoid calling him that when we're sharing the gospel with people. But if you don't know Christ, the God I first need to introduce you to is the God of justice. Well, gosh, Billy, I thought you liked me. That sounds a little rough. Well, the reason I say that is because God has given us commandments. He's given us commandments that express his will for our lives and how our lives can flourish. All he really needed to do, he didn't need to give us 10, did he? He just needed to give us one. Love him with all our hearts. Not have any other God before him. <laughs> I think we just, all of us just struck out, didn't we? But for good measure, he goes further. He says, we're not to make idols. 
what that means, let's get out of the religious language, what that means is we're not to worship creation, but we're supposed to worship the creator. We shouldn't use the Lord's name uselessly. We're to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We're to honor father and mother. We're not to murder, which remember Jesus clarified, saying that we're not even to be sinfully angry in our hearts against somebody. We're not to commit adultery, and Jesus clarified that. We're not to lust in our hearts for another. We're not to steal. We're not to lie. We're not to covet what someone else has. How are you doing with your commandment keeping? Our regular unwillingness to keep the commandments reveals that something's wrong on the inside. Again, I don't know what religious tradition you might have come out of, but keeping the commandments is not the way to salvation. It's not going to get you saved. Keeping, trying to keep the commandments reveals that you need a savior. That's what the commandments are supposed to. It's not a ladder to get to heaven. It's a revelation that by yourself, you're not going to make it because you've broken his commandments. And he's a God of justice. We've all broken his commandments. We've all fallen short of living a life that brings him glory. You know, so breaking the law of God is called sin. That requires justice. A punishment equal to the crime has to be charged to the guilty. Sin makes us enemies of God. Sin is willful rebellion against God and declares, here's why it's so offensive. It declares that you, what you believe, your will, your choices, your wisdom, your sense of right and wrong are superior to God's. That's what every act of sin does. I know what's better, you don't. Sin. And for all intents and purposes, every broken commandment declares that I don't need you, God. I, I, can have, I can have love and life and joy without God. That's what every, every sin declares. And because God is just, that, that crime has to be punished. Okay, well, can, can you tell me then, what, how do I get to the God of peace? If I've broken the commands of God, and, I, I, I'm, and without Jesus, I'm going to meet God as the God of justice, which what that will mean, if, if you live your life, and who knows when, when your time, when your day is done, but if you die in that condition, what, you're, what you've essentially done is the story and testimony of your life is, is really telling the world, telling God, I'll, if there is a judgment, I'm big enough to bear the own, my own punishment. How does someone come to experience God as the God of peace instead of the God of justice? The text tells us, doesn't it? Through the blood... Get your nose in the book. Get your nose in the book. Through the blood of the eternal covenant. Because God is just, he can't just forgive sin without also satisfying his justice. 
And the only way that someone can pay the eternal punishment that disobeying an eternal God deserves is for someone who's without sin and also eternal, that reduces the pool, right? (laughs) Is someone without sin and someone eternal to be punished in their place as a substitutionary sacrifice. And that's what happened on Good Friday. The sinless and eternal Son of God lived the perfectly obedient life that you and I have not lived. And out of love for God and out of love for you, placed His innocent life on the cross to receive the full punishment your sins deserve. As though He were guilty. As though He were guilty of committing each and every one of your sins. And when that punishment for sin was fully and finally paid, Jesus cries out on the cross. I want you to say it with me. It is finished. There's no more price to pay for sins, for those who put their trust in Jesus. In fact, listen, after you've been in heaven a bazillion years, right? You're not going to be any more forgiven. You're forgiven. It's finished. That's how thorough and final the death of Christ in your place on the cross is. And so Jesus Jesus opens his arms wide this morning to you to welcome all who would confess and repent of their sins to him. All who would turn in faith to him for forgiveness and to have a new life. But it gets better. Get back into the text. He promises that this shed blood is associated with something. It's associated with God making an eternal covenant with you. That eternal covenant is is to give you a new heart. God doesn't, doesn't, because after you're saved, God, God still will give you commandments. But the difference about Christianity is the Holy Spirit joins Himself to you, giving you a desire and the power to, to live a life pleasing to God. That's the difference. God wants to give you a new heart so that you can live a life in communion with Him and in fellowship with Him and in obedience to him. And because he was forsaken by God on the cross instead of you, he promises never to leave you or forsake you until he brings you to your heavenly home. That is how God becomes the God of peace for those who have committed themselves by faith to follow Christ as their savior. In your in your notes we have this statement, through the sacrifice of Christ, God gives you peace with him because Christ paid the price for your sins. In Christ, God gives you the experience of peace from Him to guard and guide your heart and mind through every struggle and trial. You can reference those uh, later on in Romans 5 and Philippians 4. Listen, peace is not just an absence of war, conflict. It's not just an absence of worry or fear. It is that, but it's so much more. It talks about being whole. It talks about being restored. It talks about being reconciled. It talks about being complete. Oh man, how many of us need that? How many of us need to grow in that? How can you know that the price Jesus paid was enough? How do you know if God accepted Christ as your substitute on the cross, paying the price for your sins? After all, many people died on the cross in those days. Well, what does the text say? (laughs) So back to the Bible. The text says the God of peace brought back from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, okay. Because Jesus paid the full and final penalty for your sins, God vindicated his sacrificial death by raising him up from the dead on the third day. Up until now, Hebrews has just implied that Jesus must have risen from the dead because we've learned that Jesus is even now at the right hand of God making intercession for those who love him, for those who have trusted in him as Lord and Savior. So even right now, if you know Jesus, Jesus is praying to God. You know he's praying? Keep them in faith, Lord. Keep them believing, Lord. And he gets his prayers answered right? That's such a joy. Listen, you may feel like your hold on Jesus is growing weak, but Jesus is saying, Lord, keep them believing, keep them trusting that if their hold on me is getting weak, my hold on them will never grow weak. I mean, so that's what's happening. So that implies that there has to be a resurrected Savior for someone to ever live to make intercession for us. But verse 20 in Hebrews is the first and only specific reference to the resurrection in the book and isn't it wonderful that we're coming to it on Easter Sunday which just boggles my mind so here we go into your notes the resurrection is our proof that God accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross as the sufficient payment for our sins the resurrection on Sunday was the proof that what happened on the cross on Friday was good oh amen Romans 4.24 really it just explains this, doesn't it? God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the death, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification is a legal word that says when you put your faith in Christ, Christ is, is, your sins are imputed to him. Your sins are counted as though he committed them. And his life, his 33 years of perfect obedience, perfect righteousness, God credits to you. Sometimes, do you want it? Sometimes, I, I can't, I don't even want to know what the Lord's thinking about me. Well, are you a believer? Yes, I am. You know what the Lord's thinking about you? Forgiven, declared righteous. That's what he's thinking about you. And what's the proof? God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the proof. This peace with God is meant to give you the sweet experience of peace from God. That's why theology is important. I know a lot of well-intended Christians. God, I need your peace. God, I need your peace. But they they never warm their hearts by the fires of meditation. How how can I know the peace, the the experience of peace with God? I've got to go back to the cross. I've got to remember that at the cross, peace was made by Christ between me who is formerly at enmity with God and a holy and righteous God. Peace with God is mine because of the sacrifice of Christ. And that positions me to be filled with the Holy Spirit experientially. But theology matters. It's not wishful thinking. This peace is meant to give you the experience, the peace, the experience of peace of God. So how does the text next describe how God can bless you with comfort and joy in Christ's resurrection on a daily basis? So remember, I started off by asking you, 
Strife in marriage, frustration in parenting, economic trials, health, your health. I mean, there's so many things that the comfort and joy of the resurrection has intended. It's intended to bless you with experientially. Well, let's, let's look at one way that the Lord will give you experientially this, this blessing of peace and joy and comfort. So second point is this. The resurrection is comfort and joy because Jesus is the risen shepherd. So, okay. I'll tell you guys, I'm the knucklehead of knuckleheads. When I think of the resurrection, I think of Jesus as king of kings, as lord of lords. I don't know that I often associate the resurrection with him being my shepherd. Do you? If you don't, it's probably why we're not experiencing the comfort and joy of the resurrection, okay? Let me explain. Let's dig into this. The writer gives an unexpected title to the risen Lord because he shed the blood that purchased an eternal covenant. You would have thought, right? Those of you who've been in the study of Hebrews, you would have thought that it would have said, and God brought back from the dead the Lord Jesus, our great high priest. That's what to me would have fit in here based on the study of the scriptures. But in this case, he refers to Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. How the statement about Jesus being a risen and living shepherd also makes it <laughs> also makes a statement about us. He's a shepherd. We are we're sheep. Not flattering. It's not flattering. Sheep are ignorant, helpless, stubborn, fearful, rebellious. And we all said, amen. Amen. Yeah, we are. We learned last week in Isaiah 53 that we all like sheep have gone astray, that each of us has turned to his own way. But when you're given the new life of salvation in Christ, we come alive from the dead. We wake up and as his sheep return to the shepherd of our souls. That's one of the beauties of Christianity. Your soul was made to have a shepherd. Your soul was made to have a shepherd. I'm sorry. I have all these word crashes on Sunday morning. So I try to, this is what, reel it in, Billy, reel it in. It's one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian that the risen shepherd is the shepherd of your souls. And I want you to, we're going to do a little exercise here because I want you to see how that affects us. Sheep not only, it's in your notes, sheep not only survive because of the constant only survive because of the constant care of a shepherd. Our salvation, comfort, and joy only survives because of the constant care of our risen shepherd. He is ever present with you to guide and protect and provide for you every day of your life throughout eternity. John 10, 11, stay in your notes. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And isn't it great that the good shepherd, Hebrews tells us, also rose again from the dead to be our risen and living shepherd. So this is where um, Steve, or I'm not sure who's controlling the the slides. I want to turn to Psalm 23. And we have it up on the slides for you because I want you to look at Psalm 23 informed by the gospel, okay? 
Try not to read. I, I wish I could remember who told me this years and years ago. He said, Billy, try not to read Psalm 23 without seeing the entirety of Scripture informing it, particularly the finished work of Christ. So he says, try not to read Psalm 23 without seeing the gospel in the first five words. Here we go. First five words. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's where I, I want to encourage you. Please stop there and rehearse the gospel. How does that teach us the gospel? The Lord became a man to become a lamb to become my risen shepherd. That's the gospel that informs Psalm 23. Um, because the risen Lord is my shepherd, let's keep going. I, sh I, I Keep it there. I shall not want. Because the risen Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything I need. Why? Because he's alive. He's risen. He cares for your soul. Let's keep going, guys. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm gonna, this is the only one I'm going to illustrate. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So I want to encourage you. The risen shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. The risen shepherd leads me beside still waters. I want you to, I've been so helped, um, certainly John Piper, but um, oh my goodness, all of a sudden I'm forgetting his name. I'll send it by email. Um, oh, okay, keep, <laughs> keep going, keep going. When you think of, of the Lord making you lie down in green pastures, what do you think about? Most of us probably think about knee-high green, green grass for as far as the eye can see. Did you know that's not what this text is talking about? If, if this was God giving you knee-high grass as far as the eye could see, you know what would happen? You would love the grass more than the shepherd. And you would likely put your faith in the grass and not the shepherd. Do you know what, what this, this guy, I can't remember his name, that's so terrible. When I, when I plucked this today, it was fresh. And now it's the fall. The fall is affecting this. Did you know that um, through many parts of Israel, it wasn't knee-high grass. Shepherds would take their sheep on these hillsides and they traverse these hillsides on these paths, these well-worn paths. And what the, the scripture refers to as green pastures is, can, can I come down off the, would it be okay if I come down off the uh, platform? So Angus, you're a sheep. Okay. And I'm your shepherd. Okay. okay. I, I wish you could get a better one. Um, Green pastures are that the Lord, the shepherd will find little pieces of grass. Mm -hmm. Don't eat it. <laughs> because I, yeah, it might kill you for all I know. But a good shepherd would give you something that would be good for you. It would be edible for you. Right. But I want you to notice something. So the sheep's not impressed with the quality of the grass. The sheep's... The sheep is glad he has a shepherd. What are you going through right now? That you feel like, that's what I feel like, my life is walking on these barren, just think of West Texas, we don't have to go to Israel, right? 
my life is like living in West Texas. My soul is experiencing the parched, arid climate and dryness and emptiness that West Texas can make us feel like. But you know, you have a great shepherd, a risen shepherd. And so all, what does this just say to do? You keep your eyes on me. Right. You keep following me. You stay close to me. And I'll give you food that will never run out. Are you with me? Do you see what a difference it is to consider the shepherd as the risen, living shepherd? Oh, how I, that, that's why I think that the Lord's intent was to give you some experience of this truth. Because I know, listen, I'm there too sometimes. I, I know what it is to have a dry and empty heart. I know what it is for my heart to have grown hardened because I've, I've harbored bitterness. Or I haven't, I haven't obeyed God in forgiving others. Or I, I haven't been consistent in meditating upon His Word. I know what it is to grow dry. And I'm so glad that I have a shepherd who takes me by the hand and ever lives to pray for me and provide for me. That's what's happening here. So now let's keep going. Back to the, the rest of the psalm. So, oh, isn't this? He restores my soul. Don't forget that. That's how we're going to end this morning. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Guys, read the scripture in context because I want you to see what's next. He just is saying, he leads me in pathways of righteousness. Wouldn't it be easy to go, well, that must be good. That must be like 80 mile an hour paths, you know? No problem, no hindrance paths. Here's what he's talking about, a path of righteousness. Go ahead, Steve. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the risen shepherd is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Keep going, Steve. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, risen shepherd. The risen shepherd anoints my head with oil. The risen shepherd causes my cup to overflow. I mean, you know how tempting it is to unpack all of this. No, no, no. Surely. So, he, so listen, this is... This is where you most need a shepherd. Are you ready? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. The shepherd is, is, is he's following me. Goodness and mercy are pursuing me. Goodness and mercy, God wants them to overtake us. But notice something here. Did you notice? Suddenly you die in this verse. You die. What? Well, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So then something happens, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what happened? You see what happened? Your day is done. And now you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Precious ones, you know when you most need a shepherd? The moment you breathe your last breath. You need a shepherd to take you from this life to that life. And you can't go there without a shepherd. See, the, uh, that's what breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to think that there's likely someone who's going to reject this again today. And, and you're just assuming, listen, I wish I, you know what I wish we could do? I wish I could take you and have a devotion at the cemetery. I, I wish I could go to the cemetery with you and I wish I could point to a headstone and I wish I could say, beat this. Defeat this. 
You won't be able to. And this isn't an end. It's not an end. There's only two places you'll go after that. And one needs a shepherd to get you there. You see why it's important that he's a risen shepherd from the dead? Oh my goodness, I hope that made sense to you. So the last point is this. The resurrection is comfort and joy because Christ restores our souls. So that, let's, let's think back to what the psalmist was telling us about the risen shepherd. So let's make sure we're staying on the good foundation. So we have a crucified lamb and risen shepherd who's made an eternal covenant to never leave or forsake you, to give you a new heart, to sustain your faith to the end. And now the pastor is praying, may this risen shepherd equip you with everything good. The word equip was used for arming soldiers for battle and providing them with the resources they would need to be victorious in their cause. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. We'll unpack that. But did you know the word equip also was used for a doctor setting a broken bone in such a way that the bone would ultimately be stronger after the healing than it was before it was broken? Did you know this was a term that was used for a fisherman who would sit on the the shore and reconnect all the frayed and broken pieces of his net to make it useful again? That's how I want to close this morning. I think the Lord wants to close that way this morning. One of the ways that God wants you to regularly experience the sweetness and comfort of the resurrection of Christ is that this great shepherd of your souls is wanting to put you back together again. Your sin caused some consequences, didn't it? And some of us are still living in the consequences of our sin. Thank God for forgiveness, right? We may still have to go through some rough ground as we endure some of the consequences for our sin. But it's rough ground that the risen shepherd's leading us through. And then some of you, some of you are broken because of the sins of others. Isn't this amazing? The risen shepherd wants to restore your soul. The risen shepherd wants to make what was broken whole. The risen shepherd wants to mend you. The risen shepherd wants to heal your broken heart. He's not just praying that God would give you weapons to wage war against sin and Satan in the battle for souls, the risen shepherd wants to put you back together. I got a couple, Design God had a beautiful Holy Week devotional called Your Sorrow Will Turn to Joy. And here's the last couple of quotes for the morning. John Piper puts it this way. The point of Easter is that God is in the process of clearing this world of all heartbreak. Tim Keller chimes in and he says, Christ's resurrection not only gives you hope for the future, 
it also gives you hope to handle your scars right now. Joshua, would you bring the worship team back this morning? Would you dare to believe? So, so, so application. What would be the application of this text? Is there something I should do? <laughs> no. no, there's just something you should believe. And it's just what we studied. Believe it. Would you dare to believe this? Would you dare to believe that God would love to raise the, the level of your experience commensurate to the truth we just studied? Would you dare to believe that? The Holy Spirit is here with us. This isn't a sterile... This isn't some sterile religious exercise. The risen shepherd is here to care for your soul. The risen shepherd is here to make you whole. So the invitation goes in two ways. The invitation goes to someone who's here this morning, and this could be young people. There's lost people always in our Sunday services, and and we know that because there's children in our Sunday services. But there may not just be lost people in the children. Is God still the God of justice for your life? Or because you put your faith in Christ, has he become the God of peace? The risen shepherd. If you have not repented of your sin and turned in faith alone because of grace alone in the work of Christ alone, you don't need a preacher to do that. You don't need a church to do that. God wants to give you Jesus himself as a free gift of salvation. Would you turn in faith and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? And then for those of us who have already been saved, but maybe you've been dry, maybe you're just enduring how your life has been broken over the years. And I'm calling those of us who lead, leadership has so much brokenness associated with it. Would you dare to say, God, here am I. I know you're with me. You're the risen shepherd. And would you restore my soul today? In Jesus' name. Would you stand, please?